0: The landscape everywhere was a mixture of the strange and the beautiful. Volcanoes surrounded by tropical palms and sandy beaches. A riot of wonderful hues and fantastic colors. And except for that fire we found on the first day, there was no evidence that man had ever set foot here before. We lived like primitive men using primitive implements. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the I-Double-M-P podcast, the Intermillennium Media Project. My name is Matthew Porter, and I'm Ian Porter. I'm his dad. He's my son, and it is June it's once June. again in the at the IWMP. Our frame rate is lower, but the drama is higher, <laughs> because we are celebrating once again Ray Harryhausen's birthday. Yes, last year we looked at a couple of his uh, giant monster movies. Well, all of his movies are giant monster movies. His earliest giant monster movies, monster monsters from the sea, and we also looked at some of his more science fiction movies with the creature brought to Italy on a spaceship that had visited Venus. And Earth vs. the Flying Saucers. Yes. And those are great movies, and and I'll include a link to those episodes in our show notes. But this month is when we're starting to get into the movies that I remember more from being a kid and loving this kind of giant monster movie. And then learning that there was this guy, Ray Harryhausen, behind so many of them. <laughs> Ah, this, this is actually the type of movie
1: you showed me earlier. These are one of the first things I'd seen that was Harryhausen. Like, this kind of adventure movie is, I guess, more the style. It's less the 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 science drama and more the adventure story.
0: Yeah, I guess the others were all science mysteries to some extent. Yeah. And this was straight up survival adventure.
1: This was survival adventure. This was... This was kind of of drama and action, and it was a
0: little bit more set piece to set piece. Well, the movie we're talking about is Mysterious Island. Yes. From 1961. And this, while not a sequel, as movies go, it is kind of a sequel to another movie that we've talked about, because it is from the Jules Verne novel that is a sequel to Jules Verne's Twenty thousand leagues under the sea, which was one of our earliest podcast episodes that was an early one, and this is this is an
1: entirely different studio and group's take on that and it was kind of, it was really cool to see like another story of the involving some of the characters from that other uh from that Disney movie we watched before
0: being done by a different group yeah, and of course spoilers for this movie that is decades and decades old absolutely. <sighs> but this one has like an
1: interesting setup to get our our cast of audience surrogates? Question mark
0: onto the. Yeah, island. I guess so. The movie requires you to have this group of people stranded on an unknown island out in the Pacific, and and they they have to get a little inventive to get us there. Yeah, because
1: what we have is a a fight during the Civil War, leading. A group of, of wounded and fleeing soldiers of both camps getting onto a hot air balloon, which was apparently a point of contention in this fight.
0: Well, it's, it's, they're prisoners in a, it's Union prisoners oh, in yes. a, in a Confederate prisoner of war camp. Yes. And they see that there's this balloon and maybe that's their chance. To, so they have this elaborate plan to escape from their, uh, from their set, their, their, prisoner's barracks and on the way they wind up capturing a confederate soldier who knows how to operate the balloon so it's several union soldiers a union war correspondent and a confederate soldier who's there grudgingly but he's stuck in a balloon with these other guys he's got to make sure the balloon doesn't crash
1: there's something very cohen brothers about this kind of (laughs) ragtag group
0: Oh, I I, I want to see a Coen Brothers version of this now. Yeah, but the, I mean, it's
1: that it's the sort of like disparate but strong
0: personalities that those that that pe- those those two like to pet together. A Coen Brothers, um, a Cohen Brothers version of Mysterious Island as a a follow up to A oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Kind of, yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah,
1: but they drift for a ridiculously far
0: distance. Yeah. And, you know, they they kind of make that seem like a long journey because we have to watch a lot of minutes of them hanging out in a balloon, or at least it seemed like a lot of minutes.
1: Oh, yeah, that... Uh, there is a lot of... They inflate the running time with that the same way you inflate the hot <laughs> air balloon that they're using to inflate the running time. That oh, that opening bit goes so long.
0: I mean, it's it does have... It does have some moments of drama and tension in its own right. There's the, the valve sequence where uh-huh. there's, they, they, they can't control the balloon because there's a valve that is stuck. And the, the uh, commanding officer of the escape union troops climbs up into the balloon and, and undoes the, the valve. And that was kind of an exciting scene. It got a little more exciting when the Confederate balloonist pointed out, well, you've broken it, so we can't control that anymore. Yeah.
1: And by the end, they're, like, barely able—they're barely keeping going. They're, like, cutting the basket uh, off because they have no more supplies and holding on to the ring. So they've got nothing, pretty much just a burner, a ring of metal, and a balloon. And
0: they're skimming the waves in this storm that's pushing them down into the ocean. It's very dramatic. It's just very long. <laughs> but of course, they they end up where the rest of the movie takes place, which is this island. And immediately get to work
1: being this the wildest combination of excessively resourceful and dramatically bold. <laughs> they find giant oysters. And they... Make ridiculously well crafted spears very quickly out of local foliage and rocks.
0: Yeah, because they start with with nothing. They have maybe one of them has a knife in his belt or his boot, and they've got the clothes they were wearing, and that's it. And next thing you know, they're they're building shelter and and cooking giant oysters and.
1: I'm sorry, it takes me longer to start mining for coal trying to play Minecraft than it does for (laughs) these guys to be building huts and elevators up to a cave. Although, that is a thing, they do immediately rebuild the set from Land of the Lost, or I guess Land of the Lost immediately built the set from this place.
0: There is such a Land of the Lost vibe in here. It's like, well, we're here, we might as well make it as much like the mid-20th century as we can.
1: Yeah, and they, they're they just like, they they find giant food everywhere, and they're building pulley systems with rope, so apparently they've spun their own rope. That's
0: like, I, what? I don't know how long they're supposed to have been there. Well, not not that long, and we do have to mention that in addition to the crew on the balloon- we do end up with two other people in the group. Right.
1: They show up a little, a little bit later. Two
0: more people wash ashore. Yes. And that, those are a um, uh, Lady Fairchild and her... Is it her niece, Elena? I think so. So, of course, you've got the, the distinguished upper-class woman and her beautiful daughter. And, of course, there's a handsome young soldier among the group that we had before.
1: Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, the soldier's... They kind of act as... They don't act as much individuals. The thing with the adventure movie-y Harryhausen films is that it usually has a a group of guys that will attack the claymation with a spear. You've got your lead characters, your (laughs) love interest, and your side characters. A lot of these other soldiers definitely fall into the not-characterized spear poker, spearmen. (laughs) Uh, category and
0: and you've got the sardonic uh, war correspondent who's older than the rest of the the guys he got into the balloon with, and who has kind of a cynical take on on a lot of things.
1: Oh yeah, he is the one kind of ribbing everyone for just climbing up the side of the volcano and peering in over the
0: top. And yet he's the one who knows how to cook, who kind of kickstarts their ability to um, to survive. The captain. <laughs> is able to kind of keep order and get the guys doing what they're supposed to do. The older guy, the war correspondent, seems to be the one who has a lot of good ideas about what that should be. He's kind of camp counselor in a way. <laughs> he's like,
1: he's the one, you know, setting up food time and making sure everyone gets enough sleep, and he kind of
0: takes that position to keep them keep them going. But you mentioned the food that they wind up getting. You yes. mentioned the giant oysters. But if we're really going to talk about what they wind up eating, we have to address what made this such an awesome movie to be watching as an 11-year-old staring at the 430 movie on WABC.
1: Oh, goodness. I think I know where this is going. Yeah. Giant enemy crab. <laughs> Giant tasty crab, too. Yes. It's 2006 Sony E3 presentation again. (laughs) Attack its weak point for massive damage. There is a giant enemy crab here,
0: and it is well animated. Cool scene. This is what makes this a Harryhausen movie, And, and probably this is why Harryhausen wanted to be part of this movie, which is it's a movie about giant creatures. And it's not just, well, there's a dinosaur, it's that there are animals who are excessively large. And they make some mention of the fact that there's lots of uh, uh, of unusually large and strange-looking flora as well, but we don't get a lot of action scenes with those. Well, not, they're not fighting flowers, but <laughs> we see them dealing with, with first this giant crab. The oyster, well, yeah, I guess the first thing they met was the giant oysters, but that didn't really put up much of a fight. No, that's... That- that was
1: a little bit more, like, just figuring out how to pry them open, and then <laughs> a lot of scenes about, like, pretty much holding up blocks of tofu towards each other, <laughs> and daring each other to eat it. Well, they, um... But it's supposed to, I guess, be s- chunks of giant oyster? Well, I'm just realizing, they didn't have any fresh water, did they?
0: Uh, I thought they found a little f- some fresh water inland. Okay, that's why yeah, I think. So, like, how did he make stew? That. Yeah, yeah, because they even before they they found the what they called Granite House, the the cave up on the mountain. They found a spot that had supplies for building a raft and a source of fresh water from a spring, and decided they could make that part of their base.
1: Oh yeah, and inside Granite House there
0: were some supplies, I believe. There were because uh, there were supplies. And an explanation for those supplies because there was a diary from like a uh a pirate or someone who had been overtaken by pirates and stranded on the island. Oh yeah, and the rum scene. Yes. There was some rum too.
1: Yes. Apparently, any movie that involves the this Jules Verne series requires someone to get drunk and sing. <laughs> it was it happened in the Disney one, it happened in this.
0: Yeah, it's it's hard to it's hard to compete with uh, Kirk Douglas. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, they, they did have their drunken singing scene in this. So they're building a pretty nice little place. Oh. Two ladies wash up. Yeah. I'm still obsessing over this giant crab, though. Yeah. I mean, that That is a cool fight scene. And it shows the, the way that Harryhausen at his best does these is he intercuts the stop-motion animation with, like, big, up-close puppetry. Like, they obviously had a giant crab claw that the guys could interact with when needed. And then they'd cut to a wide shot where it's the the composite of the live-action actors and the stop-motion crab. And then back to the person wrestling with a, a giant foam crab claw.
1: Yeah, this one does cut away to them kind of jabbing off screen a few too many times for me. Yeah. It broke that for me a little bit more during that fight. But definitely the the, the throwing a net on it and then being dragged because <laughs> it's bigger than you. You can't just trap it. It's going to keep taking you. Also, I think they do take it out kind of the way, like, they, they, they attack the legs. Oh, yes.
0: They, they attack weak points. They attack weak points because they, they defeat it by knocking it on its back. Knocking on its back into a geyser. Oh, yeah. Instant crab boil. Yes. How convenient. So they're feasting after that. There's
1: something about that fight scene that didn't quite click, but I could tell how cool it was. <laughs> now, ironically enough, one of the later fight scenes did get me. Oh, what was that? Well, once the ladies wash ashore and they are integrated into the little community, they start trying to harvest more stuff and make a pen. I believe, or... Mm-hmm. And there's the giant chicken.
0: Yes. that. Oh, yeah, they found goats on the island. That's one of their they food found the, sources. They found goats. Normal-sized goats, but they are attacked by a giant chicken. Yes! Which, in yeah, in, in some ways that is every bit as scary as the, the crab. That's one point in which the score for this movie, which is overall is not bad. It's It's not noteworthy or breathtaking. But it's good; it's serviceable. In the fight with the chicken, there's something about the score that there's like a little hint of circus music in it.
1: There is. I,
0: am I supposed to be terrified for their lives, or am I supposed to think this is goofy and funny? They're fighting a giant chicken. I think it's more the first. This is supposed to be scary, but there was this little bit of absurdity that the score didn't help. I can, I can, I can understand that. I guess I get the feeling that if if you if a
1: crab is attacking you and you leave the crab's territory, the crab will leave you alone oh, a I, chicken I- understands spite a chicken understands. <laughs> like just following you until it gets what it wants more, and so a giant chicken feels more threatening to so me. So
0: crabs are more chill than chickens. That's what I'm saying. Leave a crab alone, he'll. Okay, I'd say I, I'm learning important things here, <laughs> survival skills. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, hey, welcome. Also, I do
1: like the. We saw very competent fighting tactics against the giant crab, against a giant chicken who has already, like, kicked the younger lady into the fence and knocked her unconscious. We see this chicken just, like, ignore the fighters and hop over them. It is a, a lot more- There are a few more instances where the initial tactic fails, and I appreciate that. It has a bit more back and forth in its fight, I think.
0: And the, the chicken fight did have, well, that didn't sound right. The fight against the giant chicken did have one of those instances where you, you blend the live action and the, uh, and the stop motion by having one of the soldiers jump on the back of the chicken. Mm-hmm. Herbert, the guy's in love with the, uh, the young lady who's yes. long sure And she, when she's in danger, he like takes this flying leap onto the back of the chicken Becomes uh, the first Chocobo
1: writer. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> the origin of the Chocobo Knights.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. He, he just like absolutely tackles this thing and
0: starts tacking it with his knife. And after all said and done, they're eating a whole lot of roast chicken. A lot of roast chicken. Man. <laughs> now, I am a little bit surprised by the fact that they seem to find a way to roast the entire chicken the way you would roast a chicken as a. I don't know where they got the oven, or the yeah. as Rock- opposed to cutting it into manageable pieces. I don't know. Yeah, I guess you put like, I guess you just take one of the trees you've cut down and <laughs>
1: shove it into a cave, toss rocks over it, and slide the entire chicken on top of it. I guess so. Wood-fired chicken. Wood-fired chicken. But I mean, who's serving
0: this giant chicken? Who has made such large creatures for them? And that's the 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 mystery of the mysterious island. At first, is it's kind of the opposite of, of island dwarfism, where a, a contained environment would tend to make smaller and smaller examples of, of fauna because they're, they, they're better adapted to limited resources. This is like, oh, it's a little island with not a whole lot by way of resources. All of the animals are gigantic, but the exception may be of those goats. Or were they very, very tiny breed of goat? oh and all the people shrunk on their way to the island no i'm saying that
1: these these are like miniature goats according to breed and giant miniature goats just look like goats (laughs) like the same the same thing that's affecting everything else just somehow negative one plus one equals zero
0: so they are the world's (laughs) biggest miniature goats yes i like that that's 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 my official explanation now that works okay (laughs) and There's one other giant monster that they they wind up encountering, which in some ways is the scariest.
1: Oh. Oh, yeah. The
0: bees. Not the bees. Oh, the bees. The bees are just creepy. (laughs) Aren't they? And this is where Herbert and Elena are not the the sharpest knives on the Christmas tree. (laughs) Because they are hanging out on the beach. They notice there's a cave up high and there's honey dripping out of it. Oh, let's go gather some honey and bring it back for everybody. They've already fought a giant crab and a giant chicken and encountered giant oysters. Where do they think the honey in that very big cave is coming from? This is either giant bees
1: or giant bears, and neither (laughs) of those are good.
0: Oh, now I'm imagining them fighting a giant poo bear. Oh, bother. (laughs) (laughs) Yes,
1: <laughs> the, the, the circus tent-sized red shirt.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and a giant Pooh Bear, he wouldn't actually fight you, but he might accidentally step on you or sit on you or something and say, oh, I'm sorry. Exactly. He just <laughs> wouldn't know what's happening. But now-
1: He'd get himself stuck and then try to pull himself out, cause an earthquake, activate the volcano. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh.
1: But it's not a giant poo bear, it is giant bees. It's giant bees, and I'm trying to avoid talking about them, because I gotta say, okay, Harryhausen can make a giant chicken and a giant crab that look like a chicken and like a crab, but are also stop-motion-y. They look like stop-motion. Why does Ray Harryhausen's
0: giant bees look too much like slowed-down footage of an actual bee? They do, don't they? There's something about that jerky motion that even at his best there's still that little bit of of jerkiness and still a little bit of of unevenness in the motion. It looks like the weird sudden ways in which insects move. Yes. And it's it's very disconcerting. This was the scariest part of the movie when I was watching this as a kid. It is terrifyingly creepy and it it feels like what you get now if
1: someone sticks a GoPro in the corner of a hive. <laughs> And you just see these multiple giant bees get in, and it just, it there is no there is no uncanniness to them. this just looks disturbingly real and and we also get to see them beating their wings and filling a comb with wax,
0: which is just disturbing as it well is. now one thing that's not very realistic about this is apparently. This is a very large beehive with three bees. They make it as if they they seem to suggest that it's a beehive, and there are a few bees who live there and they go off to work and leave the beehive empty. That's not how beehives work. Beehives no. are never empty. If this were a beehive of this size with bees this size, they would have been able to hear this from miles away. Yeah, there would be no question that there are a lot of bees there, and that there are they are big, but they the beehive is empty and abandoned. Apparently, when they go in and try, try to gather some honey, and then they get stuck and, and walled off into a, a honeycomb. And there is a really,
1: really wonderful shot as the the bee is filling in one end of the of the comb they're in with wax. And it cuts to them, and they're slowly, like I guess, sliding a diffraction plate across the light so that it's getting darker on our two. Are two leads there.
0: And I think the way that was shot was in reverse. Yes. Where they had the sheet of wax scaled appropriately for the model B and they chipped a little bit away at it, but they reversed it to make it look as if the B was secreting the wax. And there's something about that reversing film that again, makes it seem a little just creepier and more alien. Yeah. That scene is just
1: disturbing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's more disturbing when I think of, of a real beehive with bees that big, but the, the scenes in the movie are really creepy. Oh, yeah. The thing that surprised
1: me is the fact that they, they get out by punching out the other side of the comb. They
0: do, yeah. They, they take the risk, I would say, of, of lighting a little fire and melting the wax on the other side, mm-hmm. which leads them to a different part of the cave, which kind of opens up the next act of the movie. As they explore down and find a lagoon.
1: And sitting in the lagoon is a very, very famous ship. An iron submersible ship. A ridged top (laughs) designed to pierce the hulls of ships.
0: It's not exactly the same as the version that we see in the Disney movie. But like the one in the Disney movie, it's modeled very well after the description In Vern's novels and the illustrations uh, from that time. Yeah. So this is the Nautilus. The Nautilus! (laughs) And
1: having found the Nautilus, we get the reveal on the other side as the rest of our, our team has noticed a ship. Have noticed a pirate ship.
0: Yes. Oh, we're saved. Oh, no, we're not. They're pirates. And then the other
1: ship explodes and sinks. Because our final character has arrived. And he still holds vendettas against sailing vessels, it seems. I'm Captain Nemo. Nemo! It is Captain Nemo. Captain Nemo coming out of the sea and... Ah, oh, goodness, this version of Nemo.
0: Isn't that a great shot, though, as he walks up out of the sea in his diving suit with a, a helmet that is a giant like conch shell with a a glass plate on the front of it? And his... His breathing apparatus, the air tank that he uses, appears to be a, a giant seashell strapped across his back. I believe it's a giant nautilus, actually, <laughs> yeah.
1: But, I mean, yeah, he's got giant shells. I'm sorry, he looks like a Tetsuya Nomura character. This, <laughs> this version of Captain Nemo looks like he's from a world you're supposed to visit in Kingdom Hearts. He's got the haircut and the scowl. You're right. Yeah, this is just this is just the character of Luxord, but with some extra shell components to it. He's he's got this immediate like, "Why, yes, I'm here. You're saved. Hello," kind of personality, and he's in this this all black getup with this asymmetrical exaggeration
0: (laughs) to it. So this is Herbert Lom playing Captain Nemo, and. I take nothing away from Lom's performance. It's a good performance. He makes a good Captain Nemo. I have no doubt that he was cast in at least some small part for his similarity in appearance and type to James Mason, who, of course, played Captain Nemo in the Disney version. Yeah. But uh, to to give Lom all, all the credit for his performance, he does have a great presence. I think he plays a really good Captain Nemo. He does. He's got the he's got the man of action aspect
1: of Captain Nemo, but he's also got the scientistiness.
0: Yes, and it's all tinged with this aloof disdain and superiority. Yeah, which you've got to have part of that in in Captain Nemo.
1: Yeah, he's got to be Captain Nemo has to seem like a guy who would be able to think up the idea of Building the Nautilus and all it does. And also a guy, kind of the right, the right type
0: of mad to actually go ahead with it. And be so sure of himself and his own judgment over that of any other person's to put all these into practice. Exactly. This does also answer the question that, that you posed earlier, which is, where are all these giant uh, animals coming from? The answer is,
1: after retiring from boat attacks, Nemo has been on an island attempting and succeeding in inventing growth
0: formula to create giant food and solve world hunger. And he's been stuck here, apparently, since the the, the attack and the explosions that were believed to have sunk Nemo and the Nautilus. Actually, they they just damaged it severely enough that... The Nautilus is no longer seaworthy, and he's stranded on this island. But yeah, he, he's decided, well, I still hate war, but instead of trying to fight war by destroying warships, I'm going to eliminate the cause of war by making sure everyone has enough food, and I'm going to make sure everyone has enough food by making bigger plants and bigger animals. I'm starting to question Nemo's judgment here. Yeah, he's been on this island a little too long. If only crabs were bigger, there would be no war. Uh, Yeah, okay, Nemo. I'm sorry. All you've created (laughs) is
1: battle crabs. (laughs) I'm sorry, Nemo. We're just going to mount guns onto the crabs. That's all that's going to (laughs) happen. Although Uh, I also think I just invented the most successful 90s toy brand ever. Battle crab? I need to make these. I can. I need to design battle crab.
0: <laughs> I like it. But yeah, um, I, I kind of, granted, it would be great to have more efficient food resources. You also need to have them distributed, and there are other things that people find reasons to have wars about. These guys were fighting in the Civil War, and that was about whether or not you get to own other people. Yeah. But his, um, his enthusiasm is touching. So that's his idea, at least. We have bigger chickens. We have no more war. And you're still trying to figure that out, aren't you? Me too. Yeah. Sorry, Captain. I'm not, I'm not entirely following you there.
1: I think someone said he was too chicken to go onto the
0: battlefield. He misunderstood <laughs> and And Nemo well having you can see the evidence: the giant oysters, giant crabs, giant chickens. Um, <laughs> giant bees. Did Nemo create the giant bees? bees?: Did he think that part through? Can we maybe start with creatures that are themselves useful directly? And well, okay, I take it back. We know he was doing experiments with flora as well. He need giant pollinators. (laughs) He need giant pollen. Needs giant bees. Okay, okay, that makes sense. I was gonna say like,
1: okay, is this a place? That's the other thing we don't know. Did he arrive on this island and just start making things giant, or did he find a giant thing and make everything else giant? I always like. Did the giant chicken come
0: before the giant egg? Is I guess what I'm asking. (laughs) I think that I think that uh, that all of the giantness is Nemo's doing because he didn't. He just talked about the results of his work, not the results of his discovery. Yeah, I really do feel bad for the
1: regular chicken. That led to the giant egg that led to the giant chicken. That just sounds like mean to this chicken.
0: Well, I guess incremental bigness. Yeah, maybe he figured out a way to make a given chicken giant, and then it gave birth to other big chickens. I guess. I don't know. They they kind of skipped over the, some of that logistics.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of logistics, because honestly, <laughs> once Nemo shows up, it becomes an episode of Mythbusters. <laughs> because they're like, we were going to get saved. There was a boat. He's like, there's still a boat. It's
0: just at the bottom of the ocean. And we need to use it fast, because you see that volcano you've been looking at all this time? It's going to like destroy the island uh, tomorrow, maybe the day after.
1: Yeah. Like. Nemo shows up and the plot decides to come in (laughs) at a million miles per hour, because suddenly we need to- I need to teach you how to scuba dive immediately, and we're going to start doing underwater repair to the boat that I blew up. Because apparently that's the- because it's the fastest way to rid a boat with a pirate infestation is to sink the boat. And to
0: do so very, very carefully, to blow one strategic hole in it so that you can repair it and refloat it by pumping air into it yeah. through enormous lengths of bamboo. of bamboo pipe running from a bellows in the nautilus. Sure. Sure. And that's, that's not going well. The plan works okay, but the, they're behind schedule because the volcano decides to start blowing up sooner than expected. Yeah. But we do get a lot of cool scenes of Nemo training the other guys how to to use the diving suits, and them walking along the bottom of the ocean. Oh, and passing the ruins of an ancient, apparently Greco-Roman civilization at the bottom of the ocean, somewhere in the Pacific. I mean, I'm sorry, can I have a movie about that? That's the cool one of the coolest things so far. You've like Atlantis or something like Atlantis is in the Pacific, Pacific and it's just like. You pass it on your commute every day? Yeah. <laughs> is this where Nemo got the invention
1: on how to make giant stuff? There's a lot of questions oh, here.
0: yes. I need more information about that ancient city. We
1: get them realizing that, no, we do have a
0: giant balloon we crashed here in. <laughs> Could we use the balloon? That's a great idea. It, it is It kind of speeds up or, or it makes easier the idea of inflating this. Instead of having to make the entire hall watertight. You just, like, put a pool liner in it in the form of this balloon and fill that up with air. And that works. It was great.
1: And as they are escaping the volcano in the last
0: minutes, all of our heroes get onto the boat, except Nemo. He was down in the Nautilus gathering up his, 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 uh, his research material because he wanted to get back to civilization with all this knowledge that he could share to stop war. Yeah, and he's, he's watching the bellows pump and gathering his stuff, but
1: Volcano has other plans. So Nemo doesn't make it. No, the, the Volcano decides to, to shake the entire Nautilus
0: and throw a girder on top of him. And <sighs> it is a pretty cool death scene. There's a lot of pathos. He's, he's desperately trying to preserve the knowledge that he needs to bring back to civilization. Which shows that he hasn't totally given up on civilization. Absolutely. And then it becomes just he wants to survive because he, he's not going to get out of there alive. And as you say, eventually it becomes impossible. And he's stuck there when the island blows up.
1: And I gotta say, there's just something about watching like a man of, of action and science in the main room of a ship full of blinking lights and such. And they, they take the camera and they shake it back and forth and he acts like he's being thrown to the left and to the right and thrown against the consoles and falling over dramatically and hurt and injured. And it just reminds me of something and I love
0: it. Yeah. I mean, it's in a movie. It's kind of cool. If it we're happening every week on a TV series. Get it gets cheesy over time. It might get yeah. old after a while. Yeah, but there's something to that. So our, the group that we begin with the escapees from the the Confederate uh, prison camp and the, um, the lady and her, her niece wind up being able to escape. Yep. And it ends with them sailing off back to civilization, if I remember. It does. And Nemo was not able to survive, this little voiceover that Nemo was not able to survive and bring his discoveries. So the rest of us dedicated our lives to helping the condition of humanity. Yeah, it is very like... It's a very sudden and
1: it's a, it feels slightly like a please donate to our <laughs> to our fund kind of ending. Welcome to our TED talk. Exactly.
0: But it's, it, but it it's, it's it is not an unsatisfying ending. It's not unsatisfying. It's we kind of want Nemo to survive and yet it becomes clear that he he won't end his his ambitions notwithstanding would he really have been able to bring this to civilization? Would anyone have listened? How would he have reacted? It's um, it's hard to imagine it going well, even if he did make it back. Yeah. I think we're leading into final questions here. I guess so. So what do you think? It's a movie. Screen or no screen?
1: I'm actually going to say screen on this one. I'm a little hesitant because there's some slow parts to this. <laughs> But it's actually a pretty cool movie
0: overall. It might not be everyone's jam, but it's pretty good. It has some, some great Harryhausen effects, and it has enough interesting twists that uh, I would agree. I'd, I say screen on this. Yeah, and in terms of being a Harryhausen movie,
1: I will say this one is not the, the cleanest Harryhausen integration you'll ever see, but it's really good. And it's Harryhausen where he's doing something to set the environment as much as he is to play a character. There's a lot of times when Harryhausen is almost getting to act a character through one of the models, but this is one where he is giving you a sense of this place. And he gets to play the entire island in that sense. And that's got some positives to it.
0: And sometimes Harryhausen movies, it can seem as if certain scenes in the movie or sometimes the movie itself, they only exist as an excuse to showcase this stop-motion animation work. Here, it's all driven by the mystery, by the plot. There's always a reason for whatever strange and remarkable thing happens. And every one of those helps move the plot forward. With the possible exception of the giant crab, but that was kind of introducing the weird mystery the eating the chicken leads to the discovery that the chicken was actually shot by somebody with a rifle and it wasn't one of us. It, it, it helps move the mystery, move the story forward. It's not just, Oh, here's an excuse for us to throw in a giant bird because the movie was getting slow.
1: Yeah. And they, they tease out bits of Nemo being there like that, that shot bit they find in an almost, an almost phantom of the Island, a, 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 and that like presence in the background
0: wave, it's very cool. And he's kind of been helping them with their survival efforts, we learn. He's been helping them all along, from building a fire and and, and bringing one of them to shore, who was knocked out out at sea, to leaving them a sea chest making it seem as if it had washed ashore, but it had all the stuff they happened to need and he does talk about how they're observing their struggle for survival has been admirable and at the same time it's clear that he's also just making sure that they survive because he needs them as a crew to help him get back to civilization oh yeah but at least there is that little bit of a yeah these guys may be soldiers but I admire their struggle to survive and to work together so yeah there's <sighs> So so I, I would say screen this yeah and that brings up our, our next question, revive, reboot, or rest in peace. Well, this is an adaptation of a, of a book,
1: and it's an adaptation that is a little bit more faithful in some ways, in terms
0: of the who these main characters are and the like. That's the same as the book. Yes. And it, it is an adaptation of a sequel, which further complicates that revive, reboot, or rest in peace question. Absolutely. I don't know what revive looks like. <laughs> Me neither. I mean, a revive could mean prequel and we've got Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. I suppose you could have a story about the intervening years since the between the end of Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea and the arrival of these guys on the island. But what does that look like other than well, I mean, it would look like Nemo figuring out how to make a giant chicken.
1: Oh no, I Maybe just figured cool. something out. Oh yeah? You have the Nautilus and the gathered reports and scientific creations of Captain Nemo sealed in a cave on an island under volcanic rock. Oh, it wasn't destroyed,
0: it was buried. What you've got is a
1: story about this Nemo Corporation popping up in modern day, (laughs) suddenly making technological leaps and advances that surprise people and our intrepid investigator going back and finding historical records about ships being crashed in the old days about things that sound familiar and strange reports from people who arrived back in a in a ship with a hole in it after going missing <laughs> and finally getting to an island and finding this giant excavation and this mega fla- flora and fauna you've got this kind of whole corporate espionage story about someone
0: finding and taking the works of Nemo. Kind of starting to sound a little bit like Lost, which is cool. Yeah, kind of. It also is, it's, I'll have to re-listen to our Land of the Lost episode because it's starting to sound a little bit like what we talked about there, where there's the Marshall Foundation, uh, where, uh, uh. Marshall is trying to figure out ways to get back to the land of the lost where his kids are still stuck with their uncle. Um, yeah, there's some fun here with that, though. There's there are possibilities there, yeah. Interesting. That said, I'm not entirely sure I need that. I'm probably gonna say rest in peace on this one, yeah. I could see then there have been other adaptations of this, uh, and I can this always room for interesting adaptations of things but i'm not looking for another version of mysterious island and i'm not necessarily looking for a continuation of of this particular continuity from the 61 movie
1: yeah saying rest in peace makes sense but i'm also always going to i'm of the the never stop making jules verne (laughs) camp never stop adapting jules verne so it's kind of a a uh, uh, rest in peace on this one, but you're gonna keep doing it, please. Yeah.
0: I, I I agree. There's there's a lot of great stories there, a lot of great things that you can you can adapt to be so relevant today, mm-hmm. compared to when they were written, compared to when the other adaptations were made. They're rich enough that if you do a new adaptation, you can always pull something else interesting out of that.
1: Yeah. Overall, though, this was just a fun Harryhausen movie, and i'm I'm glad we've got to watch this
0: and this is one of those movies where I would watch this it would show up every year or two on on t v in the afternoon, and I just loved the giant monster fights, the giant animal fights, and was creeped out beyond belief by the bees, but always wanted to see that scene. I couldn't turn away from it, I was always scared that it was coming, and I had to watch the scene. But, oh no, not the bass, <laughs> Not the bass. And it was sometime after I had seen this movie a couple of times that I realized, oh, there's this guy who does these effects and he's made other movies. So this was, might have been my first, the first Harryhausen movie I really recognized as a Harryhausen movie that went, that made me go back to pay attention to some of the other things he had done and the way he was developing that craft and the similarities among these movies. So this this movie uh, I always always brings a smile to me when I see this because it it opened that that window for me and I just remember having a great time watching it. Yay! So that's our beginning of Harryhausen Month for 2022. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, continuing our celebration of Harryhausen Month. And meanwhile, Dad. Where can they find you parking your submarine? <laughs> you can find me uh, pretty much anywhere as by Matthew Porter. so you can go to com, but you'll also find By Matthew Porter on Twitter on YouTube, uh, and uh, you can find me there.
1: And I can be found online as Item crafting
0: on Twitter, uh, item crafting live on Twitch and at itemcrafting.com. And you can find the podcast, well, you can find us on Twitter as IMMPCast, and you can find us uh, on the web at IMMProject.com, and that's where you will find links to all of our back episodes, including Land of the Lost and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And you'll also find a contact page and a link to the, our Discord. We'd love to hear from you there. What did you think of this movie? Do you have a favorite Harryhausen movie? Do you have a favorite Jules Verne adaptation? Let us know. Exactly. You'll also find on the website a link to our shop if you like T-shirts, coffee mugs, other fun things. And you'll find a link to our Patreon. Thank you very much uh, for anybody who's able to support us there. You help keep the podcast going. And if you support us on Patreon at the movie club level, you will get a mysterious DVD in the <laughs> mail periodically. Some movie that we will be covering uh, in the future on the uh, on the podcast
1: for those of you who want to experience what i do of not knowing what movie you're sitting down to watch next
0: <laughs> but most importantly we thank you very much for downloading we thank you very much for listening if you want to help support the the show you can also go and uh review us on itunes you can give us as many stars as you like five is terrific because it helps people find the podcast and you can also just tell your friends about it Also, another way that you can either share the podcast or if you like the podcast, you'll start to see videos from us on YouTube. There'll be a link to that on immproject.com. The first up is, well, we had a live stream a few months ago. Part of that live stream was introducing Ian to the glory that was Close Encounters of the Third Kind Trading Cards from Wonder Bread, an important part of my youth. So we've got a video about that up there on, uh, on YouTube and there will be more of those to come and also more live streams to come. So stay tuned and we will let you know when those are on the way. In the meantime, go find something new to watch.